0: Just really honored to be a part of the conference. It's, it's truly a privilege to be uh, part of this group. I've worked with both Bill Salas and Dr. Randy Price for uh, other events, uh, Dr. Price for many years, and just considered it an honor to be part of, the, part of the team. Since the theme of this conference is Israel, God's prophetic clock, I thought I would start with a, a Jewish joke. So uh, a Jewish man took his Passover lunch to eat outside in the park, and he sat down on the bench and began eating. Well, a little while later, a a blind man came and sat down next to him on the bench. Well, feeling neighborly, this this Jewish man uh, broke off a piece of his matzo and gave it to the blind man. Well, the blind man, not realizing what it does, ran his fingers over the matzo cracker for a few minutes and looked more and more puzzled. Finally, he turned to the Jewish man and exclaimed, who wrote this nonsense? So there you go. There you go. Well, uh, I've been studying uh, Bible prophecy for over 30 years, almost 35 years now. I was fortunate to grow up in a Christian home where uh, my uh, grandfather uh, had been a pastor and very interested in Bible prophecy, and my parents were believers and very interested in Bible prophecy. So we went to churches that uh, taught about it and cared about it. So it was kind of ingrained in me uh, early on. But one of the things that I've noticed uh, as I've written about and spoken about Bible prophecy over the years is that most Christians today have what I would call a very anthropocentric view of the Bible. In other words, they think the Bible is basically only about salvation and personal Christian living. It's about life here and now on the earth. And they tend to get consumed by that speck on the timeline of eternity that begins when they're born and ends when they die. Certainly, we all know that, to be sure, personal salvation, redemption through the blood of Christ is crucial. And the Bible reveals the only way that a person can be made right with God to be rescued from the penalty of sin uh, is through faith alone in Christ alone, who died in substitutionary atonement for our sins. But there's much more to God's Word and His revealed Word in the Bible than individual redemption. There's more life than that period of time between the cradle and the grave. The Bible is not simply a book of personal redemption. It's a book that reveals God's plan of all creation. God is working out His plan for all of history. Uh, The Bible begins when time began, as God spoke the world into existence, and it ends when time shall be no more. It's a book of creation history. And so, as one would expect, that plan has a beginning and an end, just like the Bible itself. God's word reveals his plan of the ages, his plan for all of creation from beginning to end. And I would be shocked if perhaps everybody in this room, certainly 80 to 90% of people, could, could not quote the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all know the beginning of creation, but it amazes me how many believers read these first three words in the Bible. It's actually two words in Hebrew, and they don't naturally ask, what about the end? It's a book that has a beginning, a clear beginning, but it also has a clear ending. The Bible tells a story. It's a a story about God's plan of the ages. Roughly one-third of the Bible is prophetic. Half of that, roughly speaking, is unfulfilled prophecy. That means that 16% of the Bible is yet to be fulfilled. It tells God's plan of the ages and how it ends. So if you look at a panoramic view of history, and I'm going to be saying more about this in my first session, uh, my my main session uh, tomorrow, but uh, right now we're living in what the Bible calls the last days. makes sense when you look at a panoramic view because we're in that last age before the transitional time, Daniel's seventieth week. I'm going to say more about that in a moment. Uh, what the Bible calls the wrath of God, the time of Jacob's trouble, the, the tribulation period. But in terms of the major uh, periods in God's plan of the ages, we're in the last days, and uh, yet so many people have no interest in, or are just ignorant of the fact that there's a better day coming. There is a culmination of all of God's plan of the ages. So if you go back to Genesis. It doesn't take long for the first major plot twist to develop in God's revealed plan of the ages. You get to Genesis 3 and of course Satan has attempted Adam and Eve in the garden and this is God's conversation with the serpent and he says I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed between I mean, your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The word bruise in Hebrew means to grip hard. And the idea is the serpent may grip hard at a relatively harmless part of Christ from God's perspective because he he resurrected, defeated, death, hell, and the grave the third day, uh, the heel, if you will, but he won't be able to destroy him. Christ, on the other hand, will strike at the most vulnerable place on the human body, the head, and in so doing, he will crush Satan entirely. He will destroy him. This is the beginning of the cosmic battle. A lot of theologians call this the Protevangelium, the first reference to the good news. There's a problem, like any good story, and and this is a historical story. uh, There's a plot twist, and it creates a problem, and that problem is Satan, who got kicked out of heaven when his coup attempt failed, and he's been setting his sights on earth ever since then. We're going to talk a lot about that in my three sessions this weekend. Uh, but uh, this, this is the first indication of how that battle ends, the, the good news, if you will. But it kind of, this verse kind of leaves us with more questions than answers, most notably, when will this happen? So God created the earth, He spoke the world into existence, Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God pronounces judgment on the serpent, and we know that's ultimately going to happen, but but When? When? Right here at the beginning of the book of beginnings, Genesis, we we see this plot line develop. And yet, amazingly, many people, many believers, sadly, are content to leave that plot unresolved. They just leave it hanging out there. They don't have any interest in the future and future things and what God's word says about how these things will unfold. So we go from a cosmic battle that ensued in the garden, ultimately full circle, uh, to the culmination of God's plan of the ages. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, right? God's plan of the ages will culminate in the return of Christ to make all things new. He says, wipe away all every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. He who sat on the throne says, behold, I will make all things new. So Bible prophecy matters now more than ever because God is working out His plan toward a logical conclusion. And don't miss this. This is what we're going to talk about in this session. We are getting closer and closer and closer to that end of the plan. The last two verses in the Bible, Jesus said, Surely I am coming quickly. Surely I am coming quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know, even the most novice Christian can quote Genesis one, but how many know the last two verses of the Bible? Bible prophecy matters now more than ever because we want the words that God left us with in His self-revelation to mankind. You know, this is God's way of saying, here I am, look at me. Over a period of 1,500 years, in some uh, three different languages, on, using some 40 different human authors, God put pen to paper as the Holy Spirit guided these men to tell us what He wanted us to know. And we have everything we need for life and godliness right now. And, and it, Bible prophecy matters now because... This, These words that he left us with in that revelation have been echoing for 2,000 years now. Revelation was written in 95, 96 A.D., and here it is. Even so, uh, come, uh, Lord Jesus. So if you look at an end times chart, and I'm sure, sure you'll see several of these uh, throughout the weekend from uh, the other speakers. Dr. Randall Price is the, the, the king of, of charts. Um, but uh, this is just a rudimentary Uh, chart, we we believe that the Bible is working out to a logical conclusion the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, according to which Christ will come back, reign in perfect peace, righteousness and justice with a rod of iron for a thousand years on the old earth and ultimately in perpetuity the Godhead will will serve as the temple in the new heavens and the new earth. This is is important stuff. This is helpful to know. This is kind of what gives us hope. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most pitiable. But we, we look forward to a better day coming. Now, you compare that to what most uh, people teach today, and, and indeed, dispensational premillennialism is in the minority, but that, that just sometimes all the fools are on the same side. That's all that means, right? Uh, God all, often works in a, in a remnant concept throughout uh, human history. Uh, but a lot of people, this is their uh, end times chart. It's basically a line with a dot at the end of it, you know, the, the end. I mean, it's kind of boring, right? That's why I made it black and white. This is their, this is their view of history, right? Christ is coming back someday, yippee, but there's really not much to it. But the Bible gives us a lot of information about it. So what I want to discuss this afternoon is why I believe Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. Uh, Why are conferences like this one uh, filling up all across the country? You know, I've been teaching on Bible prophecy, as I said, for 30 years, and the last 10 years or so, our ministry at Not By Works Ministries kind of really became... Focused centrally on the urgency of the gospel as it relates to end times prophecy. And there was a time, uh, you know, back before 2020 when conferences were not as well attended, uh, it seemed to be kind of a dying breed. Uh, but nowadays they're packed out again. Even unbelievers are recognizing something is not right. Something is going on. Something doesn't add up. We're being lied to. These Things that are happening today relate directly to specific end times of prophecy. So I want to suggest 10 reasons I believe very strongly we're living in the last of the last days. Ways the stage is being set for the fulfillment of prophecy, signaling that we could be getting closer and closer to the rapture. Now, we can't set dates. We're not here to be sensational. Uh, We know the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Uh, But if we see the stage being set for events that happen in the 70th week of Daniel, it ought to remind us that the rapture must be even uh, closer. So I'm going to go through 10 reasons. Uh, I'm going to focus on the first seven, and then I'll mention 8, 9, and 10. And those 8, 9, and 10 are what I'm going to give a lot more detail to in my second two sessions uh, this weekend. So the number one sign that that really should jump off the pages at anyone who's paying attention uh, to the Bible and the Bible prophecy is the granting of statehood to Israel. I want you to understand that for roughly 1,800 years or so, there was no Israel on our Rand McNally maps. And so when people read the Bible and it talked about a future for national Israel... It talked about a kingdom emanating from Israel. It talked about a rebuilt temple. It talked about, first, an Antichrist taking the throne in that temple and uh, the abomination of desolation. And it talked about, ultimately, the Messiah coming back and taking the throne. All of that was really hard for people to, to understand, to conceptualize, because in their mind, Israel was just an ancient city, like a lot of the ancient biblical cities that have come and gone. But in 1948, something happened. Uh, you know, we know as we read Scripture that Jesus says when he comes back, he's going to gather together the nation of Israel from the four winds, from one end of heaven uh, to the other. Fulfillment of just about every Old Testament prophet talks about this great end times regathering, a supernatural regathering back into the homeland. There has to be a homeland for them to be regathered into. Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, The Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So let's go back to the turn of the 20th century and the rise of the modern Zionist movement. A, a man that uh, you're probably familiar with, Theodore Herzl, wrote The Jewish State in 1896. And then in 1897, he convened the first Zionist World Conference in Basel, Switzerland. At that time, he put forth what was called the Uganda Plan, which was to give the Jews a homeland in Uganda. But he said something very, very interesting in his uh, in his diary, September third, eighteen ninety seven. Isn't that interesting what what he said? Can you here's what he said. At Basel, I founded the Jewish state. Remember this is 1897. If I said this out loud today, I would be answered by universal laughter, but perhaps in five years, certainly in fifty, everyone will know it. So when was he writing this? 1897. What happened about fifty years later, 51 to be exact? May 14, 1948, Israel declared her independence and was granted the statehood. So that ought to send all kinds of exciting alarm bells going off in those who love prophecy, because now Israel has a homeland. Now, they're there in unbelief today, make no mistake. They have not believed the gospel, not that some Jews have, it. there are certainly many Jewish believers. Uh, but as a nation, the leaders are not there in belief. But there is a homeland now uh, to which they can be regathered at the second coming when Christ comes back in the fulfillment uh, of prophecy. And this is something that really goes all the way back to Genesis once again when we see the boundaries of the, the Jewish uh, you know, kingdom uh, that were outlined in Genesis 15, uh, verses 18 to 21. According to Charles Feinberg, it's about 300,000 square miles. And what you see on the screen there in blue is the outline of you know, what Israel was promised. And in red is modern-day Israel throughout all their storied history, the Jews have never fully inhabited the promised land as it was given to them. They've had the rights to it, as Joshua tells us. They've never fully expanded. But when Christ comes back and the kingdom is rebuilt and that massive temple that Ezekiel talks about is rebuilt, they will once and for all represent and fill up this promised land. So the granting of statehood to Israel is the first reason why Bible prophecy Should get your attention today. Number two is Gog and Magog stage setting. Now, if you're familiar with Bible prophecy, I know this crowd is, uh, you understand that Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes the battle of Gog and Magog. Now, Dr. Or, or, I mean Bill Salas has written a brand new book which I can't wait to read. I hope you'll pick one up while you're here. It talks about some of the different end times wars and even though we may not all agree on all the different iterations, it's a fascinating study, great research and one of those end times wars is the battle of Gog and Magog that he uh, discusses. If we go back to our end times chart, uh, in my eschatology text, What Lies Ahead, I have a chapter on this and it, it gives I think eight different viewpoints among various dispensational scholars of when the battle of Gog and Magog might uh, happen so we have to you know we have to be somewhat uh gracious and we we don't absolutely know for sure we can kind of piece together and have our speculations uh, for my part i think it's going to happen after the rapture but before the signing of the covenant in Daniel 9:27 in that gap of time uh, my good friend and colleague Dr. Andy Woods thinks it's going to happen during the first part of the tribulation we don't know for sure, but clearly it's going to happen, and we get some details about it in the book of Ezekiel. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. He goes on to describe the nations involved in this northern alliance that will come against Israel. Uh, Persia, Ethiopia, and Put are with them, and all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north. Now, if we were to take these na- ancient lands and call them by their modern day names, we see we're talking here about Iran, about Ethiopia, about uh, Libya, about Turkey, and then of course about Syria. Now if you look at those modern nations across the bottom of the screen, you notice anything about them? Have they been in the news much lately? Much going on related to these nations? There absolutely uh, is. Uh, they're in the news almost every day and it's prefiguring this end times battle uh, that is going to happen, I believe, prior uh, to the tribulation, but certainly in conjunction, whatever your view is, with uh, the end uh, times. And it's, it's often hard these days, especially what's been going on with Russia and Ukraine and with uh, Erdogan. I have some, some great uh, information about Turkey in the new uh, brand new book that just came out, but th- it's hard to make sense of what's happening these days geopolitically. And, and this has actually always been true, at least from American foreign policy perspective. One moment our enemies uh, are our enemies and we're fighting against them, the next time minute we're allying with them and going against another common enemy. And it's just really complex. And I've been talking about the Russia-Ukraine war with uh, one of my weekly podcasts, World Events Update, uh, with a, a good friend and expert on this subject for well since the war started. And uh, it's just amazing how you try to figure it out, and there's so many moving parts. But I finally had a source provide me with this helpful chart that I'm gonna show you next that really explains all of the alliances that are paving the way for the Battle of Gog and Magog. So hopefully this will clear it up for you, but this is basically what, what's happening as we get ready uh, for the Battle of Gog and Magog. We see the stage being set uh, prophetically. You know, Putin's getting chummy with Iran. We're seeing all kinds of things happen behind the scenes. So the Gog and Magog stage setting is another reason that Bible prophecies should matter now more than ever. The third uh, is globalism surge. We see a massive globalism surge. Now, I'm going to have a lot more to say about this in my second presentation today. It's really the subject of two of my recent books on the new one that just came out September 1st. But King David talks about... This attempt on the part of global leaders, earthly leaders, conspiring with Satan to try to usher in a one world system, and one thing we need to understand is we're headed towards a one world system one way or the other. It, I believe biblically speaking it's going to start out as satanic globalism, uh, as i 'll explain this afternoon, and then it's ultimately going to you know revolve into, resolve into di- divine globalism when christ comes back. But David talks about how the kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord Yahweh and against His anointed Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords. Satan has control issues. He's had control issues since he was in heaven, and he tried to overthrow God there. He was kicked out of heaven, and he set his sights on the earth. But how does God respond? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. See, the Lord knows how this is all going to come out. Uh, he, he knows that he has already set his king on his holy hill of Zion. That's Christ speaking proleptically here as if this is as good as done. We're just waiting for it to materialize you know, on God's uh, timetable. Revelation 13 uh, talks about the Antichrist, this beast, uh, and that all the world marveled and followed this beast. We read that the kings of the earth and of the whole world were gathered together at the end Uh, under the command of the Antichrist and false prophet to try to uh, win this battle of Armageddon. So globalism really begins with the signing of the treaty and takes us all the way through till when time shall be no more in the eternal state. It's just that the first part of it is going to be at the behest uh, of Satan. So how do we see globalism really taking shape today like never before, particularly just in the last three or four years? Well, of course, the World Economic Forum has been around since the 60s, but it is really at the tip of the spear right now, one of the most powerful globalist organizations, influential in world events uh, in our day. And I have a whole chapter on this in my two-part series, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volumes one and volume two, in fact two chapters in in volume two. And I talk about it as well in the brand new book that just came out. But heading, heading up this organization is Klaus Schwab. Now you've heard a lot about Klaus Schwab. He's a frequent subject at prophecy conferences. I've spoken about him many times. He's kind of the man behind the deal. By the way, you laugh, but that's how he likes to dress. That's an actual photo. He likes to get dressed up in his galactic garb and do press conferences. These are a few of his cronies that are all Davos men, uh, and you hear the mainstream media talking about Davos men and Davos women. It just means they've been tutored and trained and brought up under the tutelage of the World Economic Forum and Klaus uh, Schwab. But these are all key players on the world scene today, helping to usher in a one-world system. I have a lot to say about each of them, but with the exception of, uh, uh, let's see, where's Rockefeller? Yeah, David Rockefeller in the bottom left there. Uh, Other than him, everyone else you see on the screen is still alive. And yes, I'm aware that Epstein's on the screen. We'll talk about that another uh, time. But uh, anyway, uh, Klaus Schwab in his COVID-19 The Great uh, Reset, he says there are five pillars of civilization that need to be reworked, reimagined: Technological, societal, economic, environmental, and geopolitical. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this one world system, this globalism, Surge. You look in Revelation 17, and you see these ten kings, the ten horns, are ten kings that will kind of be allies of the beast, the Antichrist, and serve under him in his worldwide government. And then you see that their single purpose of these end times kings and this alliance is to make war with the Lamb at the very end, there at the Battle of Armageddon, to try to defeat uh, Christ. One of the uh, organizations that is really central to the World Economic Forum, in fact, the official narrative is that the World Economic Forum helped, uh, you know, was actually started by the Club of Rome, but the Club of Rome was started uh, in 68 by a secret group meeting in Rockefeller's home, one of the Rockefeller family homes. It was started by Aurelio Pecci, David Rockefeller, and Alexander King, and their purpose uh, ultimately in conjunction with the World Economic Forum is to establish, their stated purpose, a one world government. Bill Cooper, in his famous book, Behold a Pale Horse, uh, cites Aurelio Pecci as saying, quote, Our goal is to take control of the world, unquote, and, quote, to reduce the world to a safe level by process of benevolent slavery and genocide. I have a whole chapter on depopulation in my latest book, and that's been one of their goals all along. And, And you see that really coming out full blast right now with guys like Yuval Noah Harari who says that most human beings are redundant. We just don't need most of us because we're gonna replace them with uh, a better version, transhumanism. And, uh, and so we just don't need most people, except of course he says for, as laboratory rats, he doesn't say rats, but he says to gather data from them. And I have a whole chapter on uh, this wolf in wolf's clothing as I, I like to call him, in uh, Spirit of the False Prophet. Uh, but Petsy said we need to quote, increase the death rate And he suggested that perhaps, quote, a black plague should be introduced uh, that would have the same effect as the black death of history. Now, one of the books that the Club of Rome came out with in 1972 uh, was The Limits to Growth. This book is still widely uh, cited by mainstream figures, college professors, the elites of the world. It's kind of the textbook for the coming one world system. And in the, the book, one of their goals is, quote, to warn of the likely outcome of contemporary economic and industrial policies with a view to influencing changes to a sustainable lifestyle. Sustainability is not something new, certainly not something new that just came out since the Great Reset. The Great Reset's been in the works well before COVID. They just went in and changed all the verbiage on their website to kind of align with this pre-planned uh, pandemic that they had put in motion almost 20 years ago, and I, I talk about that extensively in Chapter 9 of Volume 1. But they, they, what they want to do is create a state of global equilibrium with population and production in carefully selected balance. In other words, they want to reduce the world's uh, population. In 2022, just last year, to commemorate the 50th anniversary of this book, Uh, They held a symposium in which they concluded, quote, the world needs to end its addiction to growth. The world needs to end its addiction to growth. Now, interestingly, and this is the reason I bring bring up uh, Club of Rome and Limits to Growth, the next year after the book came out in 1973, the Club of Rome put forth a plan to divide the world into, guess what, ten regions. (laughs) Uh, They called this regionalized and adaptive model of the global world system. What did we read in Revelation? What do we see in Daniel? This 10-nation alliance. And so you can see the nations there uh, on the screen, North America, Europe, Japan, and then Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa all together, Russia and the Slavic nations. Uh, You've got South and Central America. You've got North Africa and the Middle East. Then you've got all of Central Africa. You've got Southeast Asia and India, and then, of course, uh, China. So I wanna give you some quotes now that indicate, recent quotes, that indicate they are chomping at the bit to usher in this one world uh, system. And as I explained, the one nation still standing in their way is the United States. Now I talk a lot about their own goals, what they've telegraphed, what has been leaked out, what has been put forth in plain uh, sight in their white papers. Uh, I have a chapter called The Luciferian Timeline, which is telegraphing for us what their timetable is. But never forget, the ultimate arbiter of the timetable is God, God Almighty. He's the one that that controls the times and the seasons. Now, so it's not a guarantee that these things are going to happen according to their schedule, but it's certainly very helpful to kind of know what the enemy's blueprint is. And they are targeting the 2020s like never before. In fact, as I talk about in my last book, going all the way back almost 100 years ago, uh, Alice Bailey and Helena Blavatsky were channeling demons, and one demon in particular called, MK, uh, called uh, Master DK, in which uh, 15 times... In her 10,000 pages of writing, in which she was channeling what the demon told her, she references the year 2025, and this was back in the 1930s and 40s, published after her death. So you, you, you know this is what they're working towards with with the you know Agenda 21 in the 21st century, Agenda 2030, the Great Satanic Reset, and so forth. So with that backdrop, consider some of these uh, quotes. Here's Klaus Schwab: "The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine." and reset our world. In his book that just came out last year, 2022, uh, which I've read, uh, I've got lots of quotes uh, from him here. I want to give you a few of them. He said, for example, the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. Uh, he said, the world as we know it, this is going back to his previous book, in the early months of 2020 is no more. It's a completely New world. In the great narrative, he said, solutions will require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies and societies, as well as in the institutions, laws, and rules that, what, govern them. So many of the elites have been talking about how we need to change how we reckon time to BC and AC before coronavirus and after coronavirus. There were even major newspaper headlines and magazine articles with that same suggestion. When asked, uh, when will things return to normal? The short answer is never, never, never. So you see this globalism surge. And again, it all centers around World War II with the reestablishment of Israel. Uh, That's a key time period in prophetic history for a lot of reasons. uh, And I'll mention a couple of those here in this presentation. But you see the United Nations uh, uh, that was formed there in 1945. You see the World Health Organization established in 1945. of 48. You see, uh, you know the World Trade Organization. Now, it wasn't was not founded until 1995. But again, it shows the uh, projection, and it's in Geneva, Switzerland. So many of these world globalist organizations either are headquartered in Switzerland or have, you know, branch offices in Switzerland. You know what else is in Switzerland is statues like this one, the Kindlefriesenbrunen, which in English means the child eater fountain, half goat, half human, right there in Bern, uh, Switzerland. Uh, you know, they're telegraphing the, the satanic Luciferian aspect of this conspiracy. What about the International Monetary Fund? When was it founded? 1945 in Washington, D.C. or the World Bank, 1944, Washington, D.C. You got the BRICS Nations. These nations will control the oil, rare earths, the uranium, the medications. They'll all take uh, you know, control of all of those things, precious, all the other precious metals. Their militaries are huge, as are their economies. And then just last month, on August 24th, they met and they invited uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to, to join them. If you, if you don't know, BRICS is Brazil, Russia, India, South Africa, and China, or China and South Africa. Now it includes uh, Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates. And then starting next year, they're going to add, they've already approved it, Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Iran. Uh, So these world alliances are happening. There's a world government summit that meets every year. I've got some quotes from the 2023 summit in my uh, books. The 2024 summit is slated for February of next year. Guess what their theme for next year's world government summit is? Shaping future governments, shaping future governments. They think they're close. And uh, if we are getting close to a one-world system, that means we're getting close to the fulfillment uh, of Bible prophecy. It's all about the new world order. From the earliest days of our country, Luciferians, Freemasons, and later the Illuminati have been seeking a new beachhead for their satanic agenda to take over the world. It's no accident that the discovery of America was called the new world because they were ushering in the new world order. Now, 150 years earlier, I'm going to talk about this in one of my later uh, presentations, the Puritans, the pilgrims, they were God-fearing believers who who were just seeking a place to come worship their creator. But after 150 years, by the time you get to the the founding fathers of our country, they were all on a mission. And that mission is not always uh, positive in its uh, nature, and I talk about that in the books. Uh, But here's references to the New World Order. Here's uh, Joe Biden, March 21st of last year, now is a time when things are shifting. There's going to be a new world order out there, and we've got to lead it. Uh, here he is uh, saying, thus, in, in setting an America, American agenda for a new world order, we must begin with a profound alteration in traditional thought. During the pandemic, and some of these globalists were giddy with excitement thinking this was it. Uh, Here's the New South Wales chief health officer saying we will be looking at what contract tracing looks like in the new world order. They thought it was here. Forbes Magazine talked about COVID and the new world order. And this is something that if you've been paying attention, they've been talking about for decades. You go back to Henry Kissinger, he told CNBC in 2008 after Obama was elected, he said, I think his, President Obama's task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when Really, a new world order can be created. See, Obama was the first and so far only truly Manchurian president. He was birthed and groomed to become president. And, and they really thought when they put him in office, they didn't, he wasn't elected, he was selected like all presidents, that he, this was the day, the day had finally come. And Kissinger had been looking forward to this day for some time. Way back in 1994, he told the World Action Council, the new world order cannot happen without U.S. participation. Yes, there will be a new world order, and it will force the United States to change its perceptions. Going back to World War II, just about every leader was talking about an authoritative world order, like Churchill or de Gaulle said nations must unite in a world government or Paris. One of the banksters whose father helped start the Federal Reserve uh, and and established the takeover of the monetary system, uh, James Paul Warburg, he said, we shall have world government whether you like it or not by conquest or consent. There's a big new Brzezinski who I talk about a lot in this brand new book, which the subtitle is "The Rise of the Global Technocracy." And this guy was pretty much invented the concept of a technocracy with his 19, I think it was '71 book. I, it's early 70s; I can't remember the exact date at my fingertips. But he said uh, this regionalization, and in the context where he's talking about this, again, this plan to subdivide the world into different regions ultimately leading toward the goal of a one-world government. He said national sovereignty is no longer a viable concept. We don't need nation-states. And again, much more to say about this in my next session, biblically, the plan from globalism to nationalism back to globalism. Here's George H. W. Bush at his State of the Union address in 1991. In the context of the first Gulf War, the world can therefore seize this opportunity to fulfill the long-held promise of a new world order that goes back to Prescott Bush, his father, who financed Hitler in World War II to try to take over this one world system. Nixon, when he met with the Chinese leader, said in 1972, each of us has the hope to build a new world order. Gorbachev uh, thought the new world order was gonna be communist in nature, but he said, we're moving toward a new world order and we shall never turn off that road. HG Wells wrote a book by that title, The New World Order, and he said countless people will hate the new world order and die protesting it. Uh, David Rockefeller, uh, who founded the Trilateral Commission, uh, along with Brzezinski and a few others, he said, we are on the verge of a global transformation. All we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order. He died in 2017 and his memoirs were published shortly before his death. And in his memoirs, he admitted, some people believe we're part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, building a one world, if you will. Well, if that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I'm proud of it. Uh, he said, the world is now prepared to march towards a one-world government. The supernatural uh, national sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable uh, to the national auto-determination practiced in last centuries. And Kissinger, very influential, uh, he says, when presented with this scenario, individual rights will be willingly relinquished for the guarantee of their well-being granted to them, by the one world government. So we have this globalism surge, and that's just a quick uh, primer, much more to say about that later. But next you see the great satanic reset. What is Satan in the unseen realm doing uh, to help usher in this one world system. See, Satan understands God's blueprint. He doesn't believe it, but he understands He understands it better than most believers. And he sees when things like Israel becomes a nation and you know, those types of things are happening that, that you know, he, he better get ready and he better work with his accomplices, his earthly accomplices and his demonic accomplices to try to usher this in. It is, after all, a spiritual battle. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual wickedness In high places. So the Great Reset is really just the Luciferian endgame, and and I call it the Great Satanic Reset. And it's very helpful at this point to understand something that comes straight out of Scripture and has been telegraphed in their own words for millennia, actually, and that is the Luciferian conspiracy. A conspiracy is just two or more people working together to accomplish a nefarious uh, goal, usually in secret. The greatest conspiracy of all time is the Luciferian conspiracy, which involves Satan, evil spirits, and human accomplices working together. Now, those human accomplices uh, I talk about extensively in the first couple of chapters of Volume 1, and I just want to give you a quick outline here. But at the top, you've got six or eight families that are literally worshiping Satan. They pray to him like you and I pray to Almighty God. They sacrifice children and drink blood to him. If you don't think that's happening today... You're living in non reality. It was happening in the ancient Near East. Are we getting better over time? Uh, absolutely not. Paul says things are getting worse and worse and worse. So it's actually even worse than it was in ancient times, as described in the Bible with Malek and other Baal and other. Uh, Hebrew, uh, ancient uh, false gods during the time of the Hebrews. Uh, at the second level, you've got hundreds of thousands of people. Many of these are aware that it is a satanic conspiracy at its core. Uh, some of them are not. It's a kind of a need-to-know basis. And then at the bottom level, you've got all kinds of organizations, multiple millions working together at the behest accomplishing this goal. And, and they may not realize uh, that that's the goal, but that's what it is. So this is really the subject of uh, the two-volume Sets, but this is, this is what they are talking about. It's a Luciferian uh, conspiracy. They think Lucifer is the hero in Genesis and God is the antagonist. In fact, they dedicate their books to Lucifer. Here's Saul Alinsky. Uh, he said in, in his book, Rules for Radicals, if you're familiar with that title, it's probably because it was very influential in Obama's uh, life. Uh, uh, he was kind of a, a mentor to Obama, if you will. At least the principles in that book were. Uh, and in the, uh, for, in the uh, epigraph here, he dedicates his book to Lucifer. He says, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. This is the same guy, Saul Alinsky, who in a, people, in a Playboy magazine in 1972, in an interview, he said he couldn't wait to get to hell because they're my kind of people. That's a paraphrase. I've got the exact quote in the book. But he said, I can't wait to get there. Those are my people. See, they worship Satan. Manly P. Hall, that Canadian Satanist uh, who was 33rd degree Mason, his very uh, infamous work, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, he said, There are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men but are marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt talked about this invisible government that owes no allegiance to, and acknowledges no responsibility to the people. Edward Bernays, the father of modern propaganda and public relations, he said, those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government. I could say much more about Edward Bernays, but for the sake of time, we'll, we'll continue. The, the real rulers of uh, Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter said in Washington are those that exercise power from behind the scenes. Uh, Woodrow Wilson uh, famously said, Uh, Some of the biggest men in the United States know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, that they better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. So this globalism surge is another key reason that Bible prophecy matters now uh, more than ever before. It's, it's happening all around us, and I believe if the Lord tarries is coming, there's a very good chance that, that we are uh, between the great satanic reset and the globalism surge, we're going to be living in a one world system. See, one of the things that is very clear to me anyway from scripture is that the antichrist and false prophet do not inaugurate or build the one world system. They won't have time. They're only there for seven years. Uh, they have to inherit a system that is ready to go from the onset, and that's why we see all of this technocracy happening all around us with, with uh, you know, one world currency, one world government, all, all of these things, the World Health Organization and the edicts that they're uh, putting out. So, I mean, the Lord could come back today. That would be pretty fantastic. It would be a great, great illustration in the midst of my message, you know. Uh, but uh, he may not come back. We don't know when he's coming back. Uh, and if he doesn't come back soon, I believe we will be witnessing the fall of America and the ushering in of this one world system. Number five is this godless spiritual apostasy, this godless spiritual apostasy. We see in First Timothy 4 that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Toward the end of the last days, as we get closer and closer to the end times, people are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons." In 2 Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but instead they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside uh, to fables. Uh, Steve can tell you about uh, the experience he had in promoting this conference, trying to get other churches on board, and it was not only no thank you, it was, it was hostile. Uh, People just aren't interested in biblical truth, and particularly uh, Bible prophecy, and anything having to do with Israel. Paul told us in his last letter that perilous times are going to come, and we're seeing that now. So what are some manifestations of this apostasy? Well, let's start with attacks on the Word of God. Of course, the Word of God has been under attack since the beginning of time. Satan said, hath God surely said, Uh, but these attacks have reached new heights It's gotten worse and worse. It it escalated in the Enlightenment period. It made its way into academia. And today, most Christian colleges and universities reject the authority of Scripture. Uh, In 1978, 334 evangelical leaders gathered in the city of Chicago to formulate what was known as the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. And that was necessary because the Bible had come under attack. Uh, Today, it's it's almost a lost cause. It's very hard to find somebody who believes in the infallibility, the inerrancy of uh, God's word. Um, So uh, if we look at some modern day examples, here's Andy Stanley in a famous controversial sermon that he gave called The Bible Told Me So. He said, perhaps you were taught as I was taught, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. According to Andy Stanley, that's where our trouble began. He said in a tweet, the Christian faith does not rise and fall on the accuracy of 66 ancient documents. Describing his own personal testimony, he said, we went off to college and discovered that even though it, the Bible, was sacred, it wasn't scientific. It wasn't necessarily something that was factual. The Bible stories weren't necessarily true. True. And he said, Christianity does not hang by the thread of the Bible told me so. It is next to impossible to defend the entire Bible. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. In fact, science is a Christian's best friend. This is the standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And, uh, and so this attack on the Word of God is coming from many pulpits, many prominent pulpits of our day. What about the growing acceptance of pluralism? That's another sign of apostasy, pluralism, of course, the philosophical perspective that demands diversity uh, over unity and sameness. It's the belief that any absolute view is necessarily wrong. Here's a Christianity Today article. Uh, Believing Jesus is the only way to heaven is insanity, according to one megachurch pastor. Uh, moral relativism, very similar concept, but the idea here is that values are determined by each society and each culture. There's no universal morality. There's no grand meta-narratives that's true for all people at all times. Uh, right out of Friedrich Nietzsche's playbook, you have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, it doesn't exist. Um, You know, this sounds like something a person who believes God is dead uh, would actually uh, say. Uh, And that's exactly what Time Magazine talked about in their uh, cover article in 2017, Truth is Truth Dead. Uh, And, you know, going back to biblical prophecy, uh, this Antichrist shall do according to his own will. There won't be a standard to which he is accountable. He will be his own standard. It's, It's right out of the last verse in the Old Testament book, of Judges. The book of Judges records about 300 years of Israel's history from roughly uh, the death of Joshua all the way until the death of Samson. And it leaves us with, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the Antichrist is called the lawless one, uh, moral relativism. Another example of apostasy is not preaching a clear gospel. That's the passion at NBW Ministries. We were founded in 1999 to promote the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. And uh, every place we go, we want to make sure we give a clear gospel. And uh, you know, this is an awesome weekend conference. I know some of you. I don't know many of you, uh, but by God's providence, you're here. And if you're here today and you don't know for certain that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, let me tell you, there's never a more important time than right now to get your spiritual house in order because time is short. First of all, we're not promised tomorrow. James says it's like a vapor. But secondly, things are rapidly unraveling. And today's the day to make sure that you're right with the Holy God. How do you do that? Well, you can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't try harder or be better. You can't do it by walking an aisle or signing a card or raising a hand. It's not about surrendering your life to God or making a commitment to God. Salvation is not a bilateral contract where you sit down with God at the table and you say, God, I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do this. I promise to do this. I promise to make you Lord and put you in charge of my life. And I'm going to give everything to you. And then he says, okay, you've got a deal. Come on in. That's not what grace is. And that's not what the Bible says the gospel is. There is a one giver and one receiver. We don't give anything to the Lord to get saved. We get from the Lord. We come nothing in our hands. We bring simply to the cross we cling. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. John 1.12 says to as many as received Him. Uh, so it's, it's, it's one directional. It's a unilateral gift, not a bilateral contract. And sadly, many people uh, think they've entered into an arrangement with God according to which on the strength of their own commitment... Uh, they are going to get to heaven. And if that's you, I want you to really think long and hard about what the Bible says about grace. It's for by grace we are saved through faith, not of yourselves. Uh, I taught school full-time for 12 years at the college and seminary levels, and uh, one of my classes was on Mondays, and it was uh, adult learners for several semesters, several years actually. And these, a lot of these guys were already in pulpits and ministries, and they would come into class on Monday nights and tell stories about how church went at their... Uh, churches that previous day and and, and inevitably somebody would say you know, man, Prof, you would have loved it yesterday. We had six people that committed their lives to Jesus and I would always ask the same thing. Man, that's great. Did any of them get saved? Because that's really what I want to know. You don't get saved by committing your life to Jesus. Show me in the Bible where it says that. 160 times and more in the New Testament alone eternal life is conditioned upon faith alone in Christ alone. Let's use biblical verbiage, clear, accurate, and urgent. And yet the church today, Satan has blinded men's hearts to the gospel. He set his crosshairs right on the gospel, and that is a key sign of apostasy. Also welcoming and embracing the LGBTQ agenda. Lots more to say about that tomorrow in my transhumanism uh, presentation. And what about this? A failure to teach about hell. It goes hand in glove with the idea of a false... A gospel, But here's Time Magazine, what Jesus really said about heaven and hell. Uh, And this person says, Neither Jesus nor the Hebrew Bible he interpreted endorsed the view that departed souls go to paradise or everlasting pain. Well, I don't know what Bible he's reading, but it seems pretty clear to me. When Jesus comes back, he says to those who don't know him, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I've studied Greek and Hebrew at the graduate level and the postdoctoral level. Uh, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In Greek means, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There's no no wiggle room there, right? It's eternal. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, where we learn they're going to be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And yet we see so many popular evangelicals like Rob Bell and Leonard Sweet out there obliterating the gospel and suggesting there's no hell? Or Newsweek, the decline and fall of Christian America, or time, what if there's no hell promoting uh, this notion? Another example of apostasy is the failure to call out sin. The failure to call out sin. Uh, You know, a lot of churches today may sheepishly still kind of hold on by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin to the authority of God's Word, but they're not willing to take a stand. That's why it was so sad that to see uh, during the Trump presidency, 90% of churches in America bowed down and worshipped at the altar of government and stopped worshipping Jesus on Easter Sunday for the first time since Constantine. Tragic, and a key sign of the times, rather than standing up. I have a whole chapter on Romans 13 in the new book, Uh, but I love what this guy tweeted out. You know, if Paul saw the church in America today, we'd be getting a letter, and I think he's right. I think, uh, yeah, I think he's right. By the way, it would, it would be, this letter would be First Americans 1-1, and it would start, My Beloved Brethren, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> That's how Paul would start his letter. And as I mentioned, caving to the pressures of government is another key sign of apostasy in our, church, uh, in our church today. So again, I talk about this, the misuse and abuse of Romans 13 in my new book. Another example of apostasy is the stunning lack of discernment. Uh, that we see today, and this is a key component of the, the study of the false prophet that I just did, 1 John 4.1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. So I've got two more examples in my top ten list that we're going to talk about today. What's my time? I've already forgotten. Was it three 3.30 we end? Is that right? Some, okay, 3.30, thank you. So number six, what about this as a sign of the times, the growing space obsession? You know, the the end times really are all about looking up. That's why Jesus said to the nation of Israel, look up and be watchful, right? We see a lot of things about the clouds. Revelation 11, in fact, all through Revelation, loud voices in the heavens, signs in the heaven. Uh, and when Christ comes back, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. That's Christ. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on White horses well what do we see happening today we see an obsession with heavenly things the whole UFO UAP phenomena now I talk about this extensively in volume 2 I have two chapters on it some of us have been studying UFOs for decades and understood that the government for 70 years had been tracking them in secret Air Force and other government agent uh, you know, organizations, even though they lied and lied and lied and lied and lied. And anybody who said they were tracking these things was a tinfoil hat kook and conspiracy theorist. And then everything changed in 2017, December 16th, with the New York Times bombshell article when the government, as they often do, came out and said, Yes, of course we've been studying and tracking these for 70 years, and we've got you know, buildings full of documentation, and now they've been, for the first time in decades, public hearings in Congress, secret uh, closed sessions in Congress, and it's all over the news. Watch this uh, uh, little clip here from uh, CNN, kind of a good minute and a half summary of how this has now become mainstream news. Hopefully our uh, volume will work.
1: Commander David Frager still can't explain what he says he saw that day. November 2004, the Navy fighter pilot was on a training mission west of San Diego when he was ordered to check out something in the water not far away. On a clear day, over a smooth ocean, he saw the object, waves breaking over it, and says he saw something hovering above it. They're right, moving. aviation threat identification program, run by an official named Luis Elizondo. I think this is a national security imperative. We have clear things that we do not understand how they work, operating in areas that we can not control. A defense official tells CNN, the program cost at least $22 million over five years before it was shut down in 2012. According to the New York Times and Politico, which first reported this story, tens
0: of millions of dollars for the project were pushed through by former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. So there's, this is no longer a fact in dispute. It's, it's widely known, widely acknowledged. I've been following Luis Elizondo for years uh, before he even became mainstream news. But here's the tic-tac uh, phenomena, we'll call it. Uh, what, you know, what, we're, what we explain in the book is that these things are not little green men from Mars. These are demonic. These are dimensional Right? it all The dawn of the modern UFO era happened in 1947, uh, and I talk about that in the book, and it happened in conjunction with Israel becoming a nation again. I believe Satan saw what was happening on earth, and he said, uh-oh, if Israel's back in play, this time must be short. And so he ratcheted up his you know, demonic... Uh, you know, agents to go out and do some you know reconnaissance, and that's what what we've seen happening. Remember, when things are heating up on Earth, it means they're heating up even more in the unseen realm. It is, after all, a spiritual uh, battle. Uh, so there's no question these things exist. They're shutting down nuclear missile silos. They're befuddling top level you know military, brass, as I'm going to state in a moment, it's the reason we started the U.S. Space Force. Don't let the official narrative throw you. Uh, As usual, the official narrative is not true. I've talked to people that have kind of told me what the real reason uh, for that was in my research for volume two. But we saw, you know, here's uh, FLIR footage, forward-looking infrared cameras. This is off the coast of San Diego. Uh, We've got the, the, uh, off the east coast, this is what's called the gimbal footage. Uh, But this is nothing new. There have been you know modern day examples of this that get swept under the rug, and unless you're actually looking for them, you, you you've been conditioned to think this is all the stuff of, of wackos and tin foil hat conspiracy theories. But one of the most powerful ones, and I talk about probably ten or twelve in my a book, but one of the most powerful one is the Phoenix Lights, sometimes called the Lights over Phoenix. This is from just 1997 and was witnessed by thousands thousands of people uh, for three hours one night over about a 300 mile span and it was mainstream coverage. People got video footage of it uh, back then. And so as I said, the establishment of the US Space Force during the Trump presidency was largely due to these growing threats from what they're calling UFOs uh, because they don't know what it is. They, they can't figure this out. It has technology that far, is far advanced beyond anything that any other country or secret DARPA program has ever uh, come up with. Uh, but, you know, Trump's by no means the first uh, U.S. president to focus on threats from outer space. Remember what Ronald Reagan said when he, in 1987, addressed the 42nd session of the United Nations in New York. Listen to what he said.
1: In our obsession with antagonisms of the moment, we often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bound. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world.
0: I have a section in, in Volume 2 on U.S. presidents and UFOs. In 1976, while running for president, Carter had this to say. And that's a clip from Alien Intrusion by Gary Bates. But uh, of course he didn't, as many other presidents have sworn they would get in and and come clean on all this, and and they they didn't. Another thing that indicates this uh, obsession with outer space is private space travel now. Uh, and the talk about fast walkers, there's a great documentary out there, but the NSA actually has a filter on all of its satellites out there to filter out fast walkers. Fast walkers is, you know, what UFOs are what we see in our domain, in our atmosphere. Fast walkers are what are the next level up. Uh, and uh, there's so many of them, which I believe, again, are demonic, trying to run everything through the grid of Scripture and think of it with a biblical worldview. So many of them, the NSA has to actually put a filter on it to kind of cut them out. Uh, and just kind of tongue in cheek, but again, it just shows our obsession with what's up there. Who can forget the uh, 2023 Balloon-a-Palooza that uh, we just went through here uh, recently? Number seven, I think, on my list of signs of the times would be the gathering storm of financial collapse. Remember the five pillars of civilization that they're trying to reset, one of those is economic. And if the antichrist and false prophet are going to prevail over a one world control grid in which you cannot buy or sell without government approval, they're going to need some type of uh, supranational institution to regulate finance at the global level, just like Klaus Schwab uh, is gunning for. Uh, He says the Great Reset will require a a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies. And even telegraphs the fall of the United States. He says, could cryptocurrencies advance environmental objectives and the policies that support them? Uh, Could they be used to accelerate the demise of the U.S. dollar? Remember, uh, one of their eight predictions for the world in 2030, the very first one of them, in fact, is you will own nothing and you will be happy about it. Um, uh, just amazing that they're telling you what they're going to do because they think it's a fait accompli at this point. There's no, Nobody's going to stop it. Uh, he says, disruption is coming. It will be both good and bad and major. Carol Quigley is a name you absolutely uh, need to know, a key uh, figure that was kind of a, a whistleblower of some of the plans behind the CFR. Uh, he was kind of their historian in his famous book, uh, Tragedy and Hope. Um, much more to say about him in the books, but one quote here. He says, their goal, this is talking about the globalists, is nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. So in order to do that, they've got to get America out of the way. And so we are looking at a dominoes beginning to fall. It's been all over the news recently. Uh, it'll, it'll spike and then it kind of simmers down and then it spikes again and then it kind of simmers down. But one of these days, they're going to pull the plug, and we're going to see uh, an incredible uh, collapse. I don't think it'll be the only thing that they use to bring America to its knees. I think it's going to be a multi-pronged attack, but economics are going to be a key part of it. I mean, you just can't look at the national debt. I looked at it again uh, this morning and copied and pasted this from usdebtclock.org. We're almost at $33 trillion. I mean, it's so high that it's greater than the annual economic output of the entire country, the GDP. I mean, it's just, it's impossible. It's, it, the, the car has burst through the guardrail and is hurtling over the cliff. There's no coming back. You're just not going to come back, right? Uh, and, you know, we, we see, hear numbers like this and we just sort of tune them out because we're, we just hear it all the time. But, you know, if you go back and, and look at the trajectory, it wasn't that long ago that we were less than $10 trillion in debt. Of course, it wasn't that long ago, 1980, that we were the world's largest creditor nation. Just in 1980. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. That would be, what, 40, give me a second, I was public schooled, 43, 43 years ago, right? Uh, and, and now we're exponentially the largest debtor a nation. But that, that's a lot of money. It's like uh, the late Senator Everett Dirksen said, you know, a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking about real money. Uh, yeah, you are. Uh, inflation, Is skyrocketing. Food prices are skyrocketing. You've got beef prices, gas prices. We travel extensively. I just got back from Oklahoma last week. It's just, you know, the gas prices all over the place are high. It's a lot higher in Colorado than it is in Oklahoma, though, I'll tell you that. Uh, And these next three, as we get ready to wrap up, are ones that I will talk in greater detail about in the next two sessions tonight, this afternoon, and tomorrow. But I want to talk about the glaring slide into tyranny particularly as it relates to the biblical signs of the times with the false prophet and uh, the Antichrist. Uh, And then government surveillance, Uh, police state, lockdowns, tyranny, medical tyranny, Um, global surveillance. Uh, Remember, the beast and the false prophet are not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. Satan is not omnipresent or omniscient or omnipotent, right? He needs help to have the kind of full-spectrum planetary control that the Bible describes happening in the end times. How will he do that? Well, we see it being rolled out in unimaginable uh, ways, and AI is a big, big part of that. And then tomorrow, I'm going to talk about the gender surrender movement in the context of transhumanism. Uh, You know, AI has no gender. And just to give you a taste of what we're going to talk about, uh, Satan hates God, obviously. He hates Mankind, because we're made in the image of God. We are God's highest pinnacle of creation, the crown jewel, the only ones whom He breathed into the the, the breath of life. We have eternal souls. We are God's image bearers. And so if He can marginalize and uh, simultaneously marginalize and and criticize humanity, it's sort of an in-your-face to Almighty God. And one of the many ways they're doing that, I'm going to describe tomorrow how the gender surrender movement is the most demonic movement of our day is by getting people to think that gender is irrelevant. You, know, you can pick any one of a number of genders, you can change it this and that, and it's really irrelevant. It's, it's up to you. Because what did God say in Genesis 1: 26 and 27? Male and female, He created them. Gender is part and parcel to the image of God uh, in man. So that the whole transgender idea and the whole AI, transhumanist ideas all kind of coalesce under this same ultimate goal, of getting rid of humanity. Now, not everybody involved in the transhumanist movement is there because they're you know, working directly at Satan's behest. Uh, it's a need-to-know basis. A lot of them just have this secular idealism of thinking we can improve on humanity, we can, you know, the evolutionary process, we can get better, we can do it better, kind of like the $6 million man kind of a thing. But whether they realize it or not, it's all part of Satan's uh, scheme. So So there you have it. Uh, Ten Reasons Why I Believe Bible Prophecy Matters Now uh, More Than Ever. The granting of statehood to Israel, the Gog and Magog stage setting, the globalism surge, the great satanic reset with Klaus Schwab and his cronies, the godless spiritual apostasy that is everywhere in the church today, the growing space obsession, the gathering storm of financial collapse, and then the three that we'll go into much more detail in in the coming sessions, the glaring slide into tyranny, government surveillance, and the gender Surrender movement. Um, before I finish, I want to just uh, once again reiterate what the Bible tells us in John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You know, we've talked at these end times prophecy conferences a lot about the prophetic wrath of God, um, and uh, we believe that the, the seven-year tribulation constitutes the entirety of the wrath of God. Other people take a different view on that but I think it's pretty clear in scripture but there's a spiritual wrath of God and all unbelievers are under that wrath and it's only by faith alone in Christ alone that you can be reborn as Jesus told Nicodemus spiritually born from above and then you become a child of God John 1 12. you're no longer under the wrath of God but it all comes down to faith And I hope uh, if you're here today and you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins, that you will do that today. Come talk to me. Talk to any of the other speakers. We'd love to talk with you more about the gospel. My next uh, session is going to be on the spirit of the false prophet, uh, hacking and tracking humanity, which is uh, really the key focus of my... Uh, next book. Stop by and see me or Wendy at the uh, table out there. All of our materials are out there. We've got lots more than just these latest books. My other End Times books that I have available are The Great Last Day's Deception, Exposing Satan's New World Order Agenda, and What Lies Ahead. Also, all of the charts that you see me use in these presentations this weekend are available in our chart book. Uh, and then be sure and sign up for our newsletter at notbyworks.org. Let me close us in prayer, and then I'll pass it back off Father, thank you so much for your word. It gives us a true north, it gives us a a roadmap for understanding the craziness of this world. And Lord, we just pray that as we navigate these unsettling times, you would strengthen our faith. Help us not to fear or be worried, but to recognize that you're in full control and nothing is happening that is not signaling better days to come. Uh, We know that uh, for reasons unknown to us, you're allowing Satan a a certain degree of uh, freedom. Uh, but in the end, you win, and we're so thankful for that. And so, Lord, help us to, uh, to promote Bible prophecy, to encourage others about it, to stay rooted in the Word of God, and most of all, uh, to share the good news of salvation in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.